the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Welcome to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. Our show will educate you about OA's 12-step program so you recognize the symptoms of compulsive eating and find the support you need in a program that works to help you control your eating behaviors and maintain a healthy weight. In this next hour, you will realize you're not alone and that there is hope for recovery and a whole new life free of obsession with food and weight. Now, here is your host, Naomi Lapel. Good afternoon and welcome to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step solution to compulsive eating. I'm Naomi Lapel, Managing Director of Overeaters Anonymous, also known as OA. We're presenting this series to educate you about what the program is and how it's worked for others who struggled with their eating and weight. On today's program, we're going to discuss how each of the 12 steps of the OA program relate to members' personal recovery from compulsive eating. So first, a little history about the 12 steps. Alcoholics Anonymous was founded in 1935 by Bill W. and Dr. Bob in Akron, Ohio. The basic principles of AA were borrowed mainly from the fields of religion and medicine and also based on the behavior and needs of the fellowship. It took three years of trial and error, and when about 100 alcoholics had found recovery using the steps, the book Alcoholics Anonymous, also known as the Big Book, was written, which codified the 12 steps and included their stories. This book is also a basic text for members of Overeaters Anonymous, along with OA literature written specifically for those who struggle with compulsive eating. The 12 steps are based on spiritual principles that outline a course of action for recovery from addiction, compulsion, and other behavioral problems. In 1960, Overeaters Anonymous was founded by Roseanne S. using the 12 steps as adapted for compulsive overeaters. We have three guests with us today from OA. Each will be talking about four of the steps and how those steps were instrumental in their recovery. And since anonymity is an important principle of our program, we'll only be using their first names. We'll begin with Marilyn from Illinois. Welcome, Marilyn. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good to have you. So first, tell me how much weight you've lost and how long you've kept it off. I've lost uh, 70 pounds. And I have kept off between 65 and 70 pounds uh, for the last uh, 19 years. Fantastic. That's, it that's... is. Um, so let's just jump right in um, and talk about the first step. Uh, well, actually, no, let's back up a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what your life um, was like before um, when you were still eating compulsively, before you found a way. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not really sure when I started to eat compulsively. Um, I just know that this really escalated when I had a family to take care of. Um, and I, what I didn't know at the time, and I found out after I came to the program, was that I was using food to cope with life. Um, I, I, you know, I just started to eat out of control. Uh, compulsive eating became my life. Um, nothing else seemed to matter, not my family, not my friends, not my employers. Um, when I wasn't eating, I was thinking about eating. Um, it consumed me totally physically and mentally. Um, once I started to eat certain foods, um, I just couldn't stop. 
and I didn't know why I was doing this. Um, but when I came to the program, I found out that I am not normal when it comes to food. Um, you know, normal eaters use food as nourishment, but I use food to deal with all of my life stresses. Um, right. you know, I didn't know any other way. Yeah. Well, let's. that's a good place to, to start talking about the first step. So we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. So the first time you heard this step or read it, what was that like? Did you relate to it? I did relate to it totally um, because I had been, you know, on so many diets um, and I would lose weight and then I would gain the weight back. And um, it was just a constant back and forth thing with, with weight loss and weight gain. So I did, I did relate to being powerless. Um, and then I, you know, I, I've there, and then I found out that there was a reason, you know, that, that I did what I did, that I wasn't a, a bad person. You know, that I yeah, there's been some relief in that, I would think. Was there some sense of relief in admitting that powerlessness? Oh, there was a, a big sense of relief um, in, in, in knowing that I was powerless. I, uh, um, I, I, I just felt, I just felt like this was the right thing for me. This was the right place to be um, in, in, in this program. Wow. Um, now I noticed that the first word in the first step is we rather than I, and all the steps that follow are written that way, like in 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 the we form, um, and they're also written in the past tense. Do you happen to know why that is? Well, it's in the we form because we are a fellowship. Uh, we are a fellowship of men and women who come together to solve our this common problem that we have with food. And um, we're one compulsive overeater helping another. You know, I receive help from someone else, and I go on to help the next suffering person. Um, and and the steps, as far as the past tense, they were written by, you mentioned that at the beginning of the show that um, the, the big book was written by 100 recovered alcoholics. So, they were recovered. They had recovered from their uh, obsession to drink, and so they wrote the steps in the past tense to tell us how they did it. Ah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So just the other day, I was reading someone's blog online. Um, who, she was struggling with her eating, and she said she felt really strongly that her life and her problems were her responsibility, and she didn't believe in giving that responsibility to someone else, as the steps suggest. So, um, so I was curious, why would that be important? Why was that important for you to have a higher power to, in order to be able to be restored to sanity? Well, it really wasn't difficult for me to take this step, um, and, and it wasn't hard for me to believe that I needed something greater than myself to stop eating compulsively because in step one, I admitted I was powerless, and, and if I have no power, then I need to have a power. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wasn't... Uh, I, my self-sufficiency wasn't taking care of my, you know, my eating. Um, I had to, I had to find another way, and the other, the, the way was to find a power greater than myself. Yeah, and so was that power greater than yourself? Um, what, what was that for you? Because I guess it could be different things for different people. Right. Well, you know, yes. I mean this. In this program, it says a power greater than our, in this program, we talk about a God of our understanding. Yeah. Um, and so 
Um, it can be it can be anything that power can be anything for us uh, that that we choose. Um, atheists and agnostics recover in this program, yeah. uh, but but for me, I call my higher power God. I grew up with the an understanding of God, and um, and I practice a religion, and I still practice that religion today, which is actually more important to me now than it was. But but there is no uh, uh, OA is not founded on any religious beliefs or ideology, um, so we just choose our own. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and but I did have to redefine my concept of God because the God that uh, the concept I had really wasn't working for me, so I had to redefine that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you believe that your issues were f- with food were a spiritual problem, or did that come as a surprise to you? That that did that was a surprise to me. It was. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that it was a spiritual problem. Um, I knew it was a physical problem, certainly, and I knew it was a mental problem, you know, because when I wasn't eating, as I said, I was thinking about it, but I didn't know that it was a spiritual hole that I I had inside of me. Yeah. Was it kind of an aha moment when you heard that? Yes, it was. It was. I heard that at my first meeting, and it was like, wow, this is the answer. I, I, just, yeah. I just knew that it was the answer. Yeah, that's great. So now the third step says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So how does this help someone trying to recover from compulsive eating? Well, I, I believe that there are two wills, my will and God's will. And, um, and since my self-will was causing havoc in my life, um, I needed to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And, um, and you know, what it's done for me is that I have learned to live with challenges and changes that can't come my way every day and without using food because that's what I did before. But, you know, for the last uh, oh, 20 years, 10 months, and about 13 days, I think it is, who's counting, I... Uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't used food to deal with any of my life stresses or changes or challenges. Yeah, so something there must be working, huh? Yes. Yeah. Now, in the fourth step, we make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. What does that mean to use searching and fearless in this process anyway? Well, um, you know, searching uh, searching for me was to looking for the facts about myself. You know about about um, things that were causing me to to overeat um, and to making you know and, and to making that made my relationships suffer. Um, yeah. And and this was due to my selfishness, this was my pride. So it was looking for these things, you know. And and fearless is is facing these things about myself. It wasn't. It was hard to face these things about myself because the addiction to food caused me to live in with, with a smoke screen. Huh, and what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, my my mind was clouded. The, the addiction to food clouded my mind. I mean, I didn't oh. even realize that I was that I was selfish and that I was prideful and that I treated other people badly. Um, you know, I always thought I had all the answers <laughs> for everybody else's life and my own and uh and I found out that wasn't that wasn't right. So do you see um 
a connection then between those kinds of behaviors like um like being selfish um or or thinking you're you're right um all the time as connected to your compulsive eating or does it kind of go either way Oh, I see a connection. I you know, I see that I see that connection. I mean, it was always about me. Um, you know, I mean, when I wanted to eat um and I wanted to binge, uh, you know, everybody better get out of my way. And if if they didn't, you know, um they they, you know, I was I was angry. Wow. So, yeah. And in this moral inventory, did you explore that um that anger that was going on kind of underneath it, underneath your behaviors? I, I did because, um, you know, um, what what we do in the fourth step is we we examine our resentments, we examine our fears, and we examine how we hurt other people. And uh, I didn't know that I was doing all these things when I was eating. I didn't know these things about myself, but because I, I covered up all those feelings with excess food, as I said, you know. So it took a lot of courage to, to yeah. get the truth. Because moral, moral inventory means the truth. We're looking for the truth. And it's, who wants to know the truth? <laughs> but, but um, you know what? The truth has set me free. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That was that's probably not at all what you ever imagined you'd be doing to get a hold of your weight, I would think. That is the truth. That's true. <laughs> um so had and you had you ever done anything like that before? This kind of um moral inventory or looking at yourself in this way? No. Mm-mm, I hadn't. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um now how and how did that doing that inventory contribute to your recovery process? Oh, you know, that was the beginning of change for me. Um, you know, this this is a first, this, the fourth step is the first action step we take in the program, and it was the beginning of change. And, you know, for me, it continues a day at a time as I work the step, continue to work the steps of the program. Um, the program continues to do for me every day what I couldn't do for myself. It has improved wow. my relationships with uh, with my husband of fifty six and a half years. It, it helps me to um, to, deal, to have patience with a ninety nine year old mother, and um, it helps me not to try and control my adult children. Wow! And um, and so your children must have been young when you were still yes. in the food, yeah? Yes, because I I came to Overeaters Anonymous thirty eight years ago, so. Yeah, they were young. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we'll come back to you, Marilyn, and we'll talk a little bit more. This is Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stay tuned. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. 
A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to sound bites from overeaters anonymous with naomi lapel to find out more about oa please visit www.oa.org now back to today's program Welcome back to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous. We're talking with OA member Marilyn about the role the first four steps played in her recovery. So, um, Marilyn, tell me a little bit more about, um, was there a particular story that you remember from before you got into program that really was like hitting bottom for you? Uh, a, a particular story? Well, I guess... Um I guess just the many diets that I kept going on and off of diet clubs and so on and um you know and they would work they would all that all those things worked and they're all good things but you know after a while they didn't work for me anymore and and that's because I um I have an addiction to food it's different than just somebody who likes to uh eat <laughs> and someone who might eat overeat once in a while um an addiction is is something that um, I had no power over. It had power over me. Yeah. So when you're, um, what I'm curious, what your children think about the work that you've done in in program over the years? Did could they tell a difference? Oh, um, they think yes. They they can, and they think it's wonderful. And they they're they're my source of encouragement, and they really pay attention to my food needs whenever I'm invited to their homes and um, they, they'll they ask me what I need, you know, what can they do for me and so they're very considerate and, and they really support me. I, I have a very supportive family. My That's husband wonderful. is also very supportive in that way. That's great. That, that must make so much difference when you're trying to transform your life in such a dramatic way. It is. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn, for being on the show. It was great to have you. My pleasure. Um, Now I'd like to welcome Sander from Georgia to the show to talk about his recovery from compulsive eating. Are you there, Sander? Yes, I am. Hi, anyway. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, So I understand that you've lost 150 pounds. Is that right? Yeah, 150 pounds. Uh, I, shed, I shed 150 pounds the first couple of years and uh, 100 pounds the first year. And I've been maintaining my abstinence ever since, thank God. That's incredible. And and how long have you been maintaining that? I've been maintaining now for about four and a half years. Fantastic. I started away about uh, six years ago, May 2006. Uh-huh. Um, so tell me a little bit about life before OA for you. Well, I never understood why I ate like I ate. I knew I was completely out of control. I've been dieting all my life. Uh, my first diets, I can remember, even as a kid, trying to lose weight. Uh, but it really started to get out of hand after I got married in uh, 1992, or 1962, excuse me. And I 
I thought I must have some sort of character weakness, some sort of thing going on in my mind that made me different from all other people. I didn't understand how other people could eat, how other people could act normally. And yet I was totally powerless over this thing. So you felt like something, there must be something broken or something yes, was seriously wrong with you. Right. I did not understand what was driving me to eat like I ate. I had tried many diets over the years. I tried all the, the, the diet clubs, diet drinks, pills, you name it, I tried it. And for a long time, I could lose weight with just about anything. I, I, I tell people I've lost 1,000 pounds in the last uh, 50 years. Uh, wow. That's not I've far from that the truth, there, but I gained it all back every time. Amazing. That and must have been time, so frustrating. It was. By the time I uh, tried to get in my 50s and 60s, I realized that my period of being able to diet grew less and less. I was able to diet sometimes for even a couple of years at a time. But it was always like holding on to the steering wheel with a white knuckle, trying mm-hmm. to keep keep on the diet. But in the end, I was just totally powerless. I couldn't even diet one day. I remember lying there in bed at night saying, God, just please see me through to the morning, and I promise I'll go on another diet. And then I wouldn't be able to get past breakfast. Mm-hmm. So I was totally, totally powerless over this thing. I didn't understand why. I thought it was some sort of moral failing on my part. Wow. So, um, so when you came into OA, you started working the steps, and um, we'll jump to the fifth step. Um, I know, I'm sure <laughs> a lot happened in those steps one through four for you. <laughs> we don't really want to jump right to the fifth step when you're working the program, but let's talk about that, which is uh, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So did you find this a painful process, or was it freeing, or both? Well, when I first saw it in the uh, OA 12 and 12, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book, it really frightened me. Even the fourth step, just the questions I had to ask myself, I thought, how would I ever do this? What if yeah. my wife found out what I had written? What if other people found out what I had written? And then to admit it to another person, I didn't think I could do it. Yeah. Uh, but when I finally, in step three, gained the confidence that higher power would see me through this process, I was able to proceed. And I never forget the day that I asked my sponsor to listen to my fifth step. And we sat there at a table outside a restaurant on a nice uh, afternoon. And I read to her what I had written, talked to her about it. And I realized as I was doing this, I was feeling more and more free that somebody else was understanding what I had gone through. And at the end, she said to me, is that it? Is that it? (laughs) I'm reminded of Victor Borga's famous expression after he'd done a concert, and he asked, how was that? He was, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> I, I, just, I just bared my soul, and all you ask is, is that all? <laughs> and I said to her, after I thought about it for a second or two, I had held back something, my deepest, darkest secret. I said, no, I've got one more thing to talk about. And I shared to her, the thing that I was most embarrassed about in my life. And in the end, she accepted me. She hugged me. She had been there. Somebody else in this world knew exactly where I had been. I had no longer anything to fear. I was free at last. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's statement about being free at last, and that's exactly the way I felt. And when I left that meeting, I felt like I was walking on air. 
I tell people, I think this was my first real spiritual awakening. Somebody else yeah. in this world knew all about me and still loved me. So I could love myself. And God loved me. And now I had nothing to hide anymore. I was using wow, that sounds like it to must hide have been from an things. Incredible I no turning. longer had to hide. That must have been an incredible turning point for you. It was. It was. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's so moving. Um, now, step six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So what is, what is a character defect to you? A character defect is a, a way of acting, a trait that I've had that when carried to extremes was destructive to my character and was destructive and hurt other people around me. Example, one of my character defects was like to, liking to control other people. I didn't understand why I would do this. Uh, why did I want to control other people? I didn't understand that. Uh, but as I started to dig down into step six, I realized I had to look more, more carefully at this. And I realized the reason I wanted to control other people was to make sure they didn't hurt me. Mm, interesting. I, and I realized that a lot of it stemmed from fears, even from early childhood. The fear of abandonment, the fear of humiliation, the fear of uh, uh, other people not liking me, the fear of humiliation and, and not being able to fit in. All my life I fought that. And so... If I, made a, if I turned in an expense report uh, that was not quite honest enough, I feared that somebody, I, for example, my family would say, that's all you got when you took that trip? That's all the expenses you were able to claim? Or if I turned in a phony report of anything, uh, I was afraid of getting fired. I was afraid of humiliation. I was afraid of everything. Yeah. And so those fears kept me from acting honestly. I realized step six was really a distillation of my defects of character that I uncovered in step four and admitted in step five, and to really look what was the problem. Fear of humiliation, fear of embarrassment, fear of asking for help. And how those did those contribute to your eating? And Sander, how did those um, contribute to your eating compulsively, those fears and those character defects that you talked about? I never understood why I had been eating like I ate. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought it was some character flaw that I had. Uh, but I realized what I was doing was using food as a narcotic. I was using food just the way a drug addict uses more uh, heroin to hide from his fears and anxieties. But I was using food the same way. I would zone out uh, by eating food. I would do things like coming home from work before my wife got home sitting down on the sofa with a couple of boxes of wheat thins and a, and a big block of cheese and a martini and just zone out, not even think about anything. And I realized I wasn't even tasting the food. It was just simply my mind would go numb, and I no longer had to fear what I had feared, the anxieties that I felt. When I first moved to Atlanta in 1979, uh, I found out my boss was a real character. He thought the proper way to manage people was to call all those subordinates in a room and scream at them for an hour. Oh, lovely. And as a result, when I got here, I gained over 100 pounds that first year. And wow. so what I did was I, I hid from my fears and anxieties. 
I had just ripped up my family, and we had to move from Maryland to Atlanta. And I, my daughter was extremely angry with me because I'd ripped her out of her senior year in high school, took her away from her boyfriend. I took my wife away from her fa- friends and family. And here I was in this terrible situation, so I had to hide from it. The only way I could successfully hide from it was taking my narcotic of choice, which was food. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, I can really see the connection there. Now, when we move to step seven, uh, we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. So um, what kind of effect did this have on your recovery? Well, at first I thought it was up to me to remove these defects of character. And I realized I had to turn it over to God. And so I had to humble myself before God. God, I cannot remove these myself. Just like I need God's help to stop me from compulsively eating, I had to use step seven and ask God to remove my shortcomings. Remove from me, dear God, fear of failure, fear of humiliation, fear of embarrassment, and then allow God to do this. And all I had to do was just continue working the steps, using the tools of recovery every day, calling my sponsor when needed, making outreach calls, going to meetings, and gradually, as I came to understand, the, the, the fears that I had were lessening and lessening until I no longer had to eat over them. Now, once in a while, I would still have a fear, but I would, I would feel better if all I said to myself was, thy will be done, not mine. Yeah. I my will you... and my life over to you. Thy will and did be you done, feel... Did you feel your shortcomings were actually removed? Many of them, yes, absolutely. Uh, very did, few, I, I can really only name a few shortcomings that I have today. Yeah. Uh, but every day I, want, I ask God in my daily prayers, reveal to me any further defects of character that I may have, so that I yeah. can admit them freely to you, to myself, and to another person, and to make amends to any that I may have harmed. So it's a continual searching process. It's not all over at one time. Right. We have a saying in OA, we, we're, it's peeling the onion. Each time we peel the other layer of the onion, we look more closely at our defects, and we discover new ones. We right. Just, like I said, I originally thought that just this need to control other people was the problem. And I realized it was really more of a fear of humiliation, a fear of abandonment that was causing me the problem. And now, wow. fear of abandonment, where does that come from? So I right. Oh, more, so more fascinating. Yeah, so you really learn about yourself through this program. It's almost like self-analysis, really is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to take another short break, and um, and then we'll be back and talk to Sanders some more. Uh, you're listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous on Voice America. We'll be right back. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it. I tried counting calories, I took pills, eating and eating, and then more eating. I really wanted to stop, but nothing could make me stop. At one point, it was so bad that I just felt like giving up. 
I felt so alone. Like nobody else could possibly understand. We understand. We're Overeaters Anonymous, and we have helped thousands of people just like you. People who want to stop their compulsive eating and start living a healthy, rewarding life. Overeaters Anonymous. Help me get my life back. Now I eat in a way that's healthy and good for me. I never realized what I was missing out on. With OA, I am living again and loving it. Start living the life you deserve with help from Overeaters Anonymous. Find us on the web at OA.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi LaPel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Sander about steps five through eight of OA's 12-step program. And so, Sander, we were talking about step seven and removing, um, having, asking God to remove our shortcomings. And, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you find sometimes like that you fall back into your old patterns, like wanting to control people and, and, or even wanting to eat compulsively? And how do you use this step to help you get past that? Very rarely do I have a need to eat compulsively anymore because for me, the promises from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous have come true for me today. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but today, food is not that important to me anymore. However, yeah, and- once in a while I find myself, you know, somebody cuts me off in traffic and I want to scream at them. Some, <laughs> I find somebody doing something that really irritates me. But yeah. I've learned that judging other people, I only judge myself. Because when I see something in somebody, a trait in somebody else, I suddenly see myself in them. So it's a learning process. Why do I feel so upset when I see that person doing this thing? And I no longer have a need to control them. Uh, so it helps me live a more normal and sane life by understanding what my defects are. And when I discover a defect, to admit, admit it immediately to myself, to God, and to my sponsor, and to anyone else I think it's important to do, and to make amends as quickly as I can. Yeah, and that's, that's a great segue into um, step eight, which says we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So how, how do you become willing to make amends? That seems like an important part of that step. It's not just that we made amends, but that we became willing. Well, I remember my sponsor, I asked my sponsor, how do I know who the people are that I had harmed? Well, I can take a look at my character defects and start listing the people that I may have hurt directly that way. But she said to me an interesting thing. She says, think of yourself walking down the street and seeing these people walking toward you. Uh, Do you want to walk to the other side of the street to avoid them? That's somebody you may want to put on your list. Hmm. That's Uh, smart. (laughs) That (laughs) helped quite a bit. But I realized I could not make amends to anybody until if I had a resentment or anger against that person. Because often, people we have harmed, we, we have in our minds that they harmed us. That's why we're going to harm them. They mm-hmm. insulted me. They cheated me. They did these things to me. So 
so therefore I'm justified in hurting them. And I realized I had to get rid of my resentments and anger before I could make an amends to anybody. So what I do is I, I pray to God to remove my anger and my resentment for that person. And if I find that I'm not willing to do this immediately, I pray for the willingness to do that. God, help me. Give me the willingness to forgive so-and-so for what she had done to me or what he had done to me. And even if then I still feel anger and resentments, then I go to the resentment prayer in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which asks me to pray for that person on a daily basis for two weeks, praying that God grant them peace, contentment, and serenity, and happiness, and joys, all the things that I wish for myself and my family, I wish for them. And the big book says, do this even if you don't want to do it, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't believe what you're saying, do mm-hmm. it anyway for two weeks. And after those two weeks, you will find that you will have lost that anger and resentment. What I found when I do this, this doesn't even take two weeks. Even after a couple of days, I find the resentments and anger have left me. Wow. But, if, but I can't make an amend to that person properly if I'm still harboring a resentment to that person. Sure. Example, that I, I, might, I might try to make an amend like, hey, I'm sorry for what I did to you, but you know, you screwed me over first, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you did this terrible thing to me. That's why I did it to you. So I can't, I can't go there. I'm trying to clean my side of the street, regardless of what they did to me. So yeah. I have to forgive them first before I can make an amend to them. So that's how I believe it is how I became willing to make amends to all these people. And so what, what's the connection here between eating compulsively? Like this just sounds like a good way to live your life. Um, and, and a very, um, a way that a lot of people probably don't live. Like they hang on to their resentments for a long time. So is the connection kind of, we start to eat over those resentments and it becomes kind of a vicious circle. Well, resentments cause anger. We say that resentments and anger are a poison that we give ourselves waiting for the other person to die. Essentially, we're going to die because of them. Anger and resentments are fatal. Mm. They are destructive of my serenity and peace. And if I don't have serenity and peace with the people around me and with my life, I want to use food to hide from those resentments and anger. Yeah. But you're right. It is a good way to live. It, I've, often, I've often discussed this with my sponsor. Wouldn't it be great if, I, if we had learned this in grammar school? Wouldn't yeah. it be great if we had learned this way to live early on in life? I had to wait 66 years before I learned this. Well, thank God you did, though, right? It absolutely has changed my life completely. Yeah. I, I'm curious. I, I noticed a theme in the first eight steps um, as I was thinking about this and preparing for this show that, that says kind of I, I made a decision and I became ready and then I became willing. And um, that just kept sort of surfacing for me that as a process for really anything that you, could, that you could approach in your life. So how has that played out for you in your recovery process or in life in general? Well, the key to it to me was the third step. And I know a lot of people say the fourth step is the, the first action step, but I think the third step is. And that to me was critical. 
made a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understood him, doing only as he asks. The last line of the third step prayer says it all to me. It says, may I do thy will always. And I think a lot of people misinterpret this, and here's the way I interpret it. May I do thy will, God's will, always, no exceptions, not just when I feel like it, not when I'm trying to impress somebody, but all the time, all the time, doing thy will always. Mm -hmm. And when I first shared this at a meeting, someone said to me, you know, I can interpret that another way, not just always as an A-L-W-A-Y-S, but in all ways, in all ways of my life and how I treat my family friends, how I live my life, to do God's will as I understand his will. God doesn't want me to treat my body with disrespect. He doesn't want me to fill myself up with food to hide from anger and resentments. He doesn't want me to treat my family with disrespect. He wants me to live a clean and moral life. I can only do this if I follow his will, not mine, because I got in trouble following my will. So that's, that's so profound. Became ready. I became ready when I decided to ask God to remove these defects of character. I became willing any time that I am have a, have a desire to use my self will in something. I just ask God to help me be willing. Give me the willingness to do this. I know recently I was uh, struck with this strange desire to. Uh, go into the freezer on the way home from an evening out to grab a dessert that my wife keeps in the freezer. It's one of these diet desserts. And I know I just don't eat them because this is going to start me on a binge. Yeah. And I had one. I said, okay, that's it. This is not for me. Higher power does not want me to do this. The next night I found myself doing the same thing. Probably the next night I said, okay, God, grant me the willingness to walk by that freezer without opening the door. And, you know, it worked. <laughs> Fantastic. So I pray for the willingness to do it. Yeah. And it, and it, well, and Sander, we have to move on to our last guest. So okay. I want to make sure she has a chance to talk as well. Okay. Thank you so much for, for sharing your life and your process and, um, and how the steps have worked for you. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. Okay, our last guest on today's show is Linda, also from Illinois. Hi, Linda. Hello, Naomi. Welcome. So tell me first about your weight loss and how long you've maintained a healthy weight. Uh, I came to OA in 2000. I actually came in through another 12-step program, and we were working on the fourth step, and um, it was one of these late-night meetings, just a few people, and I said, I don't understand what's wrong with me, but I can't stop eating. And there were, like, four ladies there, and they said, okay, well, we'll talk with you after this meeting. And so I talked with one of the ladies after the meeting, and I said, I don't understand what's wrong. And she said, there is a way, and it's OA. And so she explained what OA is to me. And she told me about meetings, and since I'd been in another uh, 12-step program, I I knew that I had to get to meetings right away and and, um, get a sponsor, all of those good things. Um, But uh, my problem was that I I couldn't stop eating compulsively. I 
I wasn't really thinking about the weight. I thought, well, it would be great if I could lose the weight, but uh, that really wasn't on my mind. I I was eating so much, and I couldn't stop, and I especially could not stop eating sugar. And I have to be honest with you, I am an insulin-dependent diabetic, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's probably when my compulsive eating started um, because I had to stop eating sugar, and then I tried all these various different things that people do to stay on diets. I mean, they gave me a diet. They, they told me what to do. The doctors told me what to do. And I said, I, I just can't follow this. And I went to doctors. They didn't seem to be able to tell me how to stop the compulsive eating. Um, but when uh, this lady told me about OA, I, I had hope because I, I, I know that 12-step programs work. Um, so um, I got uh, abstinent in 2002, and then... Uh, I've got to a healthy body weight uh, uh, about, I've been maintaining a healthy body weight for a little over two years. Wow. Uh, Fantastic. It was really really difficult for me to get to the healthy body weight. I was, I actually went to, uh, I wanted to stop compulsive eating so that I could stick to my diet so that um, I could get my mind back. The problem was I would just eat, my blood sugar would go up, down, up, down, up, down, and I couldn't follow what the doctors told me I need to do. And when I got to OA and started to work the program, uh, that got much better. And when I finally got abstinent, uh, my diabetes control got much better. It, It was just a miracle for me. That's excellent. Just remarkable. Um, We're going to take a short break, Linda, and then we will be back and we'll talk about steps 9 through 12. I'm Naomi LaPelle, and you're listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stay with us. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're looking for answers and solutions, you don't have to look to expensive treatments, consultations, and methods. All you have to do is listen to your connections. Every week, the Dr. Melanie Show will teach you how to do just that. Dr. Melanie Barton will share her gifts and talents and teach you to do the same. And in doing so, find the solutions to the issues in your life that you truly need. You'll learn about holistic and practical health in six key areas. Discover the Dr. Melanie Show, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous with Naomi LaPel. To find out more about OA, please visit www.oa.org. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back to Soundbites from Overeaters Anonymous. We're talking with Linda about how steps 9 through 12 have contributed to her recovery from compulsive eating. All right, Linda. Well, let's talk about 
step nine, which is to make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So do you have a story about having done that? What happened? When I actually make a a lot of living amends, uh, I I only had a few direct amends to make. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess the amends that I really own were to myself. Uh, And when we talk about amends, uh, an amends is not an apology. It's to change behavior, to change the way I am, uh, rather than to say, gee, I'm sorry. Oh, Uh, that's a really good distinction to make. Thank you. And um, I I tried to make a few uh, direct amends. They didn't seem to have any idea what I was talking about. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I struggled. And then um, uh, the direct amends I I owe to my family, Uh, my husband and um, my dad, who's 93, who lives with me. And so... What I do with them is direct amends. So that means I change, try my best to change my behavior. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't really work to just say I'm sorry. That really the best thing is to not do that again. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the other thing is um, to work on the resentment and the fear that Sandra had talked about that those are things that where we hurt ourselves instead of others. And, and so by being in the program, I've um, worked a lot on that. You know, when I resent someone, I say the resentment prayer, and I keep saying it, and eventually that resentment goes away. And it's not necessarily that I owe them an apology. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Um, but um, And I use the uh, step 10 to make the direct amends. Um, that's um, a, a really good step to be in the living amends process because yeah. you, you journal and you write about what did I do today uh, that was good or was not so good, and I discovered that I was late to church quite a bit. I, I would write, and that Sunday night, oh, I'm going to late again. You know, So the living amends is to change my habits so that I'm not late anymore. I, we would make each other late. You know, I'd wait for my husband to get in the car. He'd wait for me. My dad would wait. We'd all make each other late. <laughs> well, but it, but it starts with me. Yeah. And so um, I do the best I can to change my behavior. And when I discover, realized that that's what I was doing, then it got better. And, and now that doesn't happen very often anymore. And what do you see as what do you see as the connection between making amends and um, abstaining from compulsive eating? Um, I, I think the connection is honesty. I, I don't think that we can make amends unless we really honestly see what what our part has been. And then the same thing goes with the eating. If unless we're honest about our eating, unless we realize what we're doing, uh, we it's very difficult to admit that we have a problem. Um, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. 
I see that. Um, in step 10, you mentioned a little bit ago, um, we con- we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Admitted it. It's hard to say. Admitted it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it sounds like this is something that you really do as a practice every day, like you were talking about with um, being late to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, I do this every day, uh, the uh, step 10, and uh, they say that steps 10, 11, and 12 are, quote, maintenance steps, and 10 mm. is actually a review of steps 4 through 9. It's like um, going through that set of steps, but um, regularly. Um, and I, I do uh, daily spot checks. Uh, when I realize that I'm resentful or fearful or anxious, I'll think about it and try to, well, what's going on? What am I doing? If I, what's my part in this? Do I owe an amends? And then uh, promptly admit that if I do owe an amends. Uh, you don't really owe an amends unless you, you have hurt someone else. It, it, sometimes uh-huh. it, you've hurt yourself rather than someone else. Um, but... Frequent, I found that frequently when I thought um, that there was something wrong or I felt bad and I was resentful, if I uh, discussed it someone, with someone, I, I would find that I just misunderstood or I misheard. And there, there really was nothing at all to it. And, oh, yeah. And, and this can just save days, months, or years of anguish because you clear the street right away yeah that's great that that's awesome um yeah so you're really kind of actively you're really an active participant in your own life every day yeah um now i want to make sure we get to the last two steps because we're running (laughs) out of time (laughs) mercy that went by fast um so step 11 um sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with god as we understood him praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out so do you pray and meditate every day uh yes i i do uh every morning uh, I read uh, OA literature in the morning and some spiritual uh, literature. I look out the breakfast window and look at the, the birds and the sunrise, and um, I, I say, uh, you are God and I am not. And uh, I choose to call my higher power God, but I, I say that prayer, you know, I, I see the sun come up, and I, I, that's certainly not me that did that. Um, and then I'll journal. I talk to my sponsor and my sponsees, and then I'll pray again after that. Um, wow. And then also at bedtime, too, I'll, I'll read a little something spiritual, and then... Um, yeah, so it's really it's really a daily practice for you. And, uh, yes, and, and the days go so much better. Oh, the other thing is that I schedule this. At, at first, I mean, I schedule my time so that I get up a little bit earlier than everybody else so that I have some time to do this so that I can actually have some some peace and quiet so that I really can pray and meditate. If I get up when there's lots of confusion in the house and somehow it slips by and it doesn't get done and then the whole day just does not go as well because I'm just not in the right place. But if I do yeah. pray and meditate, I start out on the right foot. Yeah, so you really you really make 
make a concerted effort to give yourself that time because mm-hmm. that's what you need to stay abstinent, right? Right, right, certainly. Yeah. Now, um, the last step is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So, Linda, what was a, what was a spiritual awakening for you? Um, I think it was at uh, step three, like, like Sander had, had mentioned. Um, I, I was one of those lucky ones that was, quote, struck abstinent. And, and this happened uh, Christmas Eve of 2000. Uh, I'd been struggling for a couple of years to get uh, abstinent, and uh, I was at my parents' um, and really having a hard time getting into the food. You know, at, at home it's a little easier to control, but there was just stuff everywhere. And someone said, get down on your knees and, and pray. And um, so I did that. I I got down on my knees and I said, God, grant me abstinence and a willingness to go to any length. And then that night, uh, after everybody's in bed, I hit the pantry again. And I thought, oh, I did it again. I wake up the next morning, I feel sick. What am I going to do? And I got on my knees again and I prayed. And then that night, I did it again. I got into stuff I shouldn't have been in. And then the third night, um, and I got into some stuff, was chicken fried steak with onions, and onions make me sick, and I ate it anyway, and I was really sick. Wow. And this was Christmas Eve, and um, there was a blizzard. I, I couldn't get back home, uh, and I went to church um, at, at my, uh, the midnight mass, and at midnight, the, the bells chimed. And I realized I'd made it 24 hours. And it was such a gift. Wow. I just don't want to lose it. And after I made it 24 hours, I thought, the next night, I thought, I can't, I have to resist this. I, I, I got this gift, and now I want to keep it, and I'll go to any lengths to keep it. And I've fortunately been absent ever since. Wow, that's a great story. Really amazing. Um, now we talked, Marilyn had mentioned earlier about God of our understanding. And, um, uh, so you don't have to be religious or willing to become religious to be in OA or to recover in this program, right? Right. Um, you don't have to be religious. Um, uh, no. Uh, but, but I believe that it's important to be honest, open and willing uh, mm-hmm. You need to be willing to believe in something greater than you, uh, and this is if if you're the only person and it's your willpower, it's you against the food. It's it's almost I think it's impossible to give up because that's a, a willpower game. Right. But if you believe in something greater than you, uh, then you've got a chance. Now. That could be God, it can be OA, it could be the meetings that you go to, it's other people that you speak with, but if you only believe in yourself and your willpower, it's going to be tough to recover. Right, yeah. um, Now, another part of the step is carrying the message to other compulsive overeaters. So, um, do you do that, and and why? Um. Yes, uh, I I think I do. Um, well, I 
I carry the message because I'm I'm so grateful um, that I I am abstinent and that I'm a, a member of OA, and I want others to know about it. I want other compulsive eaters to know that there's hope and that OA works. Yeah. And the third part of the step, there's a lot in step 12, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is practicing these principles in all our affairs. And, and we're actually going to devote a whole show just to that. But I wonder how you practice the principles in, in all of your affairs in the rest of your life. Uh, well, uh, I'll pick the example of step 12. And the, the principle for step 12 is service. And so service is carrying the message uh, to other compulsive eaters. That would be within OA. But uh, not only that, uh, I also uh, do service in other ways. Um, I volunteer at my church. That's another way of of giving service. Uh, I carry the message of my higher power um, through that way. And then I also do service at home, kind of mundane things, you know, I do chores at home, I take out the garbage, you know, in general, that my husband does that, but sometimes he doesn't have time, and so I help him out by, I, I see that it hasn't been done, so I'll do it, and that's yeah. service, so the little things like garbage and laundry, and so it can be, you know, really small things or big things, that volunteer to do, to help. Yeah, yeah, and that that takes the attention off yourself too when you're putting your attention on service, I would think. Right. Yeah, very good. Well, we have actually come to the end of our program. I can't believe it. We got through all 12 steps. <laughs> Thanks to all of you, to members Marilyn, Sander, and Linda for joining us today and educating us about the steps and how they contributed to their remarkable recoveries from compulsive eating. In OA's 12-step program, you will find unconditional acceptance and support. In OA, we believe this is a threefold illness, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Tens of thousands have found that OA's 12-step program affects recovery on all three levels. The 12 steps embody a set of principles which, when followed, promote inner change. Sponsors help understand and apply these principles. As old attitudes and patterns are discarded, OA members often find there is no longer a need for excess food. Those who choose to recover one day at a time and practice the 12 steps will achieve a new way of life, as you've heard from our members today, and lasting freedom from food obsession. Go to our website at oa.org and find a meeting or call us at 505-891-2664. Join us next week when we'll be talking about one of the three levels of recovery, physical recovery. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for joining us this week. Sound Bites from Overeaters Anonymous is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until next week's program, may you find support acceptance, and hope for a renewed life.